Our reading this evening is taken, well, it's the in whole uh, second epistle of John. You'll find that on page 1229 in the Pew Bibles, if you would like to follow the reading as I read. Second epistle of John. The elder, to the lady chosen by God and to her children, whom I love in the truth, and not I only, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth which lives in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, will be with us in truth and love. It has given me great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as the Father commandeth us. And now, dear lady, I am not writing you a new command, but one we have had from the beginning. I ask that we love one another, and this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands. As you have heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. I say this because many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any such person is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch out that you do not lose what we have worked for, but that you may be rewarded fully. Anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not take them into your house or welcome them. Anyone who welcomes them shares in their wicked work. I have much to write you, but I do not want to use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to visit you and talk with you face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your sister, who is chosen by God, send their greetings. Amen. Wonderful stuff. Thanks, David. Uh, Well, do keep your Bibles open and let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the gift of your word and pray that by your spirit you would speak powerfully to each one of us tonight. Lord, please remind us of old treasures and teach us new things, we pray for Jesus' sake. Amen. Um, so over the next two Sunday evenings, uh, we're taking a little whistle-stop tour of, of two John, that's what we've just heard, and of three John, which um, Phil will be preaching uh, next week. And we're thinking about two things of love and truth, love and truth. And, and tonight we're going to think about love. So uh, we're thinking about this. You walk in love. Sounds rather direct, doesn't it? Hopefully it'll, um, it'll stick. Um, I don't know what, what your reaction is when you see something like that, when you, when you think about the word love. I don't know if, how, how it resonates with you. You think, yes, love. Or maybe it's kind of, oh, it's one of those words that... What does it even really mean? It's, it, it's something that I think bears looking into and thinking about what, what God says about love and what the Bible teaches us about love. You see, love isn't just one of those things that is plastered across Valentine's cards or we talk about the fact that, that we just love this new song that we've heard. The Bible is talking about love in a completely different way to anything else the world would offer. Um, I think if you ask most people... Uh, on the street, what they think about love, I think hardly anyone would deny that love 
is a good thing, would they? People like the idea of love. They affirm that, that love is a good thing. But I wonder if you press them a bit more, what do they mean by love? What, what is love to people? Well, perhaps you're, you're here tonight and you maybe wouldn't call yourself uh, a Christian. Um, and perhaps you've heard Christians talk a lot about love and you're not quite sure what they mean. Perhaps particularly you've heard them talk a lot about the love of God or love for God. You see, when Christians are talking about love, they're not just primarily talking about a sense of uh, a, a happy glow or, or something you write in a card, love, Tim, if you're sending it to someone. You see, when Christians are talking about love, they are talking about a person. Not just a feeling, but a person. And, and this, this person changes us. This, this love of this person changes us. And this person is Jesus. It changes us. But the thing is, we're never going to be changed by this understanding and love unless we understand what this love looks like. So that's what we're going to think about this evening as we, as we look through to John together. Three questions we want to ask. Firstly, what does this love look like? Secondly, how does it change us? And thirdly, why is it so hard? So firstly, what does it look like? You see, God has shown his love through truth. There's going to be a bit of overlap with, with next week because when we get into 3 John, we see how this practically worked out in one of the situations in the early church. But we're stepping back and thinking more about how, how love and truth connect together. And we see that love and truth do connect together. They go hand in hand. You can't have love without truth and you can't have truth without love. And God has shown his love, this is what John starts off with, John has, uh, God has shown his love through the truth of the gospel. So look at verse 1. It says, The elder to the lady chosen by God and to her children, whom I love in the truth. And not I only, but also all who know the truth. Well, what's going on here? There's, there's some funny language. Well, the elder is John. He is the one starting off this letter, sending it. And the lady and her children, he's talking about as a church. It, it's a church. It's people who have been chosen by God to be saved forever through Jesus. And John is writing this letter to this church. And it's partly an encouragement, but it's also a warning and we'll get onto that in a bit. But it is, it is a warning and an encouragement to help this church, this lady and her children who have been chosen by God. It is an encouragement and a warning for them to remember what the truth is and why they love it. Okay, it's an encouragement and a warning for this church to remember what the truth is and why they love it. So as we see there, the church are the people who have been chosen by God. God has chosen these groups of people from all different backgrounds, rich, poor, young, old, Jew, Gentile. God has chosen them to be part of a new community who have been shaped by the love of God. They have been set right in their relationship with God through Jesus, what we would call being justified. They have been set right in a relationship with God, and they are now one new family. That's what we were thinking about 
earlier um, this morning in our service. They are one family. But God hasn't just given them an impression of his love. God has shown his love to these people through an act of history. Something happened, it was true, and that is how God has shown his love to them. And it's important that this church is reminded of that, because it's all too easy to doubt this love. I remember um, an experience a while ago when I was, I was in a bit of a, a low place really one day, and, and I was really doubting in my mind this, this idea that, that God loved me. I was finding it really hard that, that, that God was for me, that, that he loved me. And, and of course, I, I knew what it said in the Bible, and, and I should have uh, turned to Scripture, but God was incredibly gracious with me. And uh, as I looked up, there was a screen projecting an image, and it was a picture of Jesus on the cross. And I was thinking to myself, God, how can I know that you love me? How can I... Oh, almost cut me off in, in mid-sentence as I was, as I was praying... It's just so easy to to doubt God's love. But at that moment, as I saw that picture of Jesus on the cross, this true thing that happened, I could be confident of God loving me. And it's important that we have confidence, because we want confidence if we are to trust him. But we can know that, that God loves us because of a true event that happened. We build our our confidence on the fact that God has shown his love through the true event of Jesus coming into the world, dying in our place, and rising again. So God has firstly shown us his love through the truth of the gospel. Secondly, as a result of this, the people who have experienced this, this true love, love the truth. They've seen the truth, and as a result, they love it. So verse 2, he goes on to say this. He says, because of the truth which lives in us and will be with us forever. This truth, it, it lives in us. It's not just a, a, an abstract thought, something that we think about. If we have a, have a thought or, or a feeling, we don't just say this lives in us. Something living in us is, is something personal. It is something alive. It's not something abstract. The Bible is talking about the truth of a person, of God's Holy Spirit living in us. When we put our faith and trust in Jesus, God gives us his spirit to live in us. It's that personal, this truth, this love. God's spirit in us. But it's not just... a. a a once-off, you know, um, God gave you his Holy Spirit and then, well, you know, you're left to get on on your own. John says, no, he will be with us forever. Once God has given you his Holy Spirit, he's not going to take it back. Not going to say, okay, well, I was living in you, but I've changed my mind. God's promise is that he will be with us and in us forever. You see, God's people love the truth. Christians know the truth and they love it because this truth is a person. This person is Jesus. Now, this, this, this may be hard for, for, for some people to understand because claiming that we know the truth can make us sound arrogant, particularly in the, in the kind of world we live in. 
where people like to say, well, that may be true for you, but it's not, it's not true for me. We have a totally different way uh, to talk about truth. Uh, and to explain this, I brought an apple. So there we go. You might have said, if I, if I show you this fruit, I've given it away by saying it's an apple. If I show you this fruit, you can see that it's round, you can come up and, and, and smell it. Perhaps you could even give it a bite and, and taste it. And you can look at it and say, well, yes, this is an apple. Whereas if I was to tell you, oh, this is a lovely banana, a nice yellow curved banana, you say, what, what are you talking about? That's ridiculous. It's true that it's an apple. It's, it's false that it's a banana. But that's not how many people work. Even that, that seems logical and to make sense. We have a much more nuanced understanding of, of truth generally as a culture now. So I can say, well, this thing, it looks like an apple. It smells like an apple. It tastes like an apple. It feels like an apple. And you say, yes, it's true that it's an apple. But the other person can say, no, well, do you know what? I, I see what you're saying, but to me, this is, this is a banana. And yes, you say that that's true, and, and I respect that, but, but I, I believe this is true, and we can both have equal truth. But do you see how that, that doesn't make any sense? But we apply that kind of thinking in life in so many ways, and perhaps it's even... It's even seeped into the church where we say, okay, well, that's true for you, but this is true for me, that we can have different things that are true, even if they contradict one another. But it makes no sense. So if we're saying that we know the truth, it can sound incredibly arrogant to someone else if we're saying, well, no, actually, what what you believe about Jesus, that he was just a normal person, actually, that's not true. That actually it can sound arrogant by claiming that we know the truth. And it would be arrogant if it was all down to us. And if we'd somehow earned this knowledge or, or studied enough and worked really hard to understand that this is true. But no, this has been a supernatural event of having our eyes open to the truth of who Jesus is. It would be arrogant if we had done that ourselves. But it's because it's God's work helping us to see why, the way things are in the universe, who he is revealed in Jesus Christ, which means we can have confidence and we love the truth. We love the truth of who Jesus is because it means that, that when life gets hard, we can remember who we are in Christ. We can remember who Jesus is, what he is like, and that helps us in those tough times because the truth tells us what God has done. It means that when we wake up in the morning and, and we're filled with anxiety thinking about all the things happening this, this day, we can remember the truth of who Jesus is and what he has done for us. The truth defines us. Not our feelings, not our emotions, not our sexuality, not anything else. The truth of who Jesus is and what he has done for us defines us. Which means that the love of this truth unites us. It's, it's not just me, but it's all of us. And this is what he says in verse 3. It's, it's almost as a, as, as a prayer of a blessing on, on this church, but there's got something else in it as well. John says, Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son will be with us in truth and love. There are those words again, truth and love. You see, the love of truth unites us it unites us as one body. And this is God's commitment to us to bind us together, to make us into a new community, a new family where we love the truth. We sing about it. We praise God for it. And we have our lives shaped by it. So we think about 
what does love look like? Well, we see that truth and love go hand in hand. They're not separate things, they go together. And so if we think then about how does this love change us? Well, it changes us because it is more than just a feeling. Love is more than a feeling. And as we see um, in verse 4, John says, it is actually what marks Christians out as different in the world. So have a look at verse 4. John writes, it has given me great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as the Father commanded us. So, so John is, is commending that he's heard reports of people in this church who are living out this love. It's not enough for them just to, just to gather together and, and praise God uh, at church or to gather with other Christians. They are living it out 24-7, which is why he uses the, the language of walking in the truth. Well, if you're walking somewhere, it's because you are going on a journey, you are being active. You're not, you're not sitting in the truth. You're not, you're not resting in the truth. You are walking in the truth. The love of God is, is changing you and it is inspiring you to, to live it out by going somewhere. You're not standing around. And, and throughout the ages, Christians have been seen to be doing this. Um, one, of the, the, one of the most profound ways, but it uh, doesn't get spoken about much, was... Um, in, in the few centuries after the, the church began, 2,000 years ago, there, there were a series of terrible plagues throughout Europe and the Roman Empire. And it was the response of the Christians to these plagues that marked them out as something different, the way that they showed love during these times. You see, Christians were the minority, uh, mostly in, in, in the, the first few centuries, uh, in, in 100, 200 AD. And... Um, but when, the, when these plagues started happening, um, the pagans, the non-Christians, would, would leave the cities where the plagues were worst and go out into the country to try and escape the onslaught of, of plague and illness. But it was the Christians who stayed behind. They stayed behind to, to care for their neighbours, to put that love into action and to care for those who needed it. And as a result, as, as people were fleeing the cities and the Christians stayed behind, the people noticed this l- practical love that the Christians were showing. And you can imagine the conversation. What, what, everyone else is running away. Why are you staying here and helping my, my, my dying wife? Well, it's because of God's love. And I want to walk in that love, walk in that truth. And as a result, we saw the effect that, that Christianity had and, and spread all across Europe. But this, 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 if we were to bring this up to today, we've got to ask ourselves, how public are we with walking in the truth, with, with living out that love day to day? Um, I find it amazing when, um, although perhaps I shouldn't find it surprising, uh, when I've spoken to, to new Christians, and uh, let's say they, they've come to faith, and they've told some, some other close friends what has happened. You know, they're so excited they can't help but, but tell friends about what has happened. And, and, and so often I've heard cases of, of someone saying back to this person, oh, I'm a Christian as well. And these people have been close friends with them for, for years, and they even they had no idea that these other people were Christians. They hadn't been public with, with what they believed, with living out that love, with walking in the truth. 
I wonder if there are people who we know, who are close to us, who who maybe don't even know that we are Christians, don't even know that we, we come to church, that we know this love and we treasure it. I was talking with someone the other day and we were having a conversation and um, I admit that I'm, I'm too guilty of it as well, but, but how easy we, we find it to, to talk about cars or about jobs or about children, you know, either, either good things that have happened or, or complaining about things. But we don't often talk about God. We can talk at length, nine out of ten people can talk at length about anything, but, but not about God, not about love for God. You see, love is more than just a feeling. It's more than just a warm glow inside a feeling towards God. It is something that marks Christians out. But also, love is hard. Love is hard. And and this is why we see this in verse 5. And now, dear lady, he's writing to the church, I'm not writing you a new command, but one we have had from the beginning. I ask that we love one another. Now, love is hard, otherwise it would not be a command. Jesus, when he's, uh, when he's questioned on, on, on how, how well, the most important commands are, he says the most important commands are to love God and to love your neighbour as yourself. But love is not always straightforward. It is not always easy. And even when Jesus answers that question, as we read that, we think, I fall a long way short of that. I find it hard to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I find it hard to love my neighbour as myself. I'm a lot more self-centred than that. You see, this is something that actually we can't do in our own strength. Love is hard. And I think rather than walking in love... Most of us, if we're honest, we'd much rather sit in silence. Love is hard. And and I know many people have have experienced occasions where they have found certain people who maybe rub them up the wrong way, they find it really hard to love them, and they're not quite sure what to do about this person who just seems to grate with them at every time. And I'm thinking to myself, great! Great! What a wonderful opportunity to put this into practice. I mean, that that is until someone rubs me up the wrong way and then I actually have to do it. But for everyone else, it's a great idea. But it's true, isn't it? Loving people can be hard sometimes. Love in in friendships, love in family, love, love in marriages. We're instructed, husbands are instructed to love their wives. If it was easy, it wouldn't need to be commanded, would it? And it's true that only one person has ever been able to love like this. Only Jesus was able to, to love like this, to love God with all his heart and to love his neighbour as himself. We see that at the cross. When given the opportunity to, to, to pour out insults onto those who are, who are abusing him and treating him, he says, Father, forgive them, they do not know what they are doing. Only one person has ever been able to love like this. This is how hard it is to love. But because of that one person, because of Jesus' love, we have a chance to grow in that love too. And because of that, 
Well, the, the impetus is on us for, to, for us to live out that love. And we see that in verse 6. John says, And this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands. As you have heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. You see, love needs to be lived out. And when we become a Christian, it becomes our new priority for us to walk in love, to live it out. And it's interesting, I don't know if you noticed the way that that, that John has phrased this. He said, well, what is love? Well, love is walking in obedience to God's commands. Okay, right, well, there's quite a lot of those. What are those commands? How can you summarize those commands? Well, as you've heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. You see, when you become a Christian, the thing that you most want to do is to walk in God's love. And how do you do that? Well, you do that by obeying God's commands. And, and how are God's commands, what, what do they point to? Well, they point to a life of love. As, as, you, as you love God more and as you, you, you pour your energy and you strengthen, you pray for God to help you to love him and to love others more. You want to obey his commands. And then you realize his commands are all pointing towards the fact of loving him and loving one another. And it keeps coming back. It's this kind of beautiful cycle of loving God, obeying his commands, loving God. And it becomes our priority as Christians, or it should be. I wonder, how are we living that out? How are we living out love in our lives? I wonder if you think about this week, with the opportunities that we all get, if there's just one thing, one thing that you could commit to, to show that you understand this love, some way of living out this love. I'll leave that to you. But if you could do one thing, just one thing, So we think about how does this love change us? Well, we see that it changes us by driving us into action because it is more than just a feeling. And lastly then, let's be realistic. Why is it so hard? Why is it so hard? Well, love is hard because as we see in this passage and we still see today, love is under attack. And this gets on to to one of the reasons why John is writing this letter to this church It's because this love, this true message of the gospel is under attack. And it's under attack by those who deny how God has shown his love. Okay, it's under attack by those who deny how God has shown his love. And we see this in verse 7. So we've seen all of this stuff about walking in love and truth. And he says, I say this because many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any such person is the deceiver and the antichrist. So this is John's reason for, for writing this short letter. He wants to protect the church from those who deny that God has shown his love in this way through Jesus. He doesn't mince his words. They are deceivers. They are not leading you into the truth. They are leading you away from the truth of who God is and how he has revealed himself through Jesus. And it is deadly serious. They are deceivers, he says twice. And then he uses this word, they are the Antichrist. Now, he's not talking about one particular individual who is 
you know, red with a pitchfork and, and horns. He's talking about people who are opposed to Christ. They are teaching a different message from the one that Christ brought to us. They are deceivers. They have the spirit of, of the Antichrist. They are opposed to Jesus. And he says, this is kind of like a litmus test. It's a way of, of telling how genuine these, these teachers are when they come to you, when they come to your church, when they come to your communities. In this particular case, it's people who deny that Jesus came in the flesh. Now, why was that a particular pressure point? Because I think it was for, for, for John's day and for, for the culture he was writing into. Um, we, we see cropping up sort of in the early church this, this thing you've, you may have heard called Gnosticism. And, and, and part of it was, was a denial that the, the, um, the physical part of creation was a bad thing. Of saying, no, that the body and the, and the flesh and the things you can see, they're, they're the bad things. You want to get rid of those. It's all about the spiritual. It was like a super spiritual at the expense of, of the physical. And that became an increasing pressure point in the church. And it would have been quite easy to, to cave in to those sort of pressures and to be teaching something like that. So, for example, instead of saying that Jesus really did come and have a physical flesh and blood body, we're saying, well, no, he didn't actually do that because why would God want to associate himself with something that is, that is kind of corrupt and, and, and fleshy and physical? That, that, that doesn't make sense. That doesn't fit. God hasn't come in, in that sort of way. But you see, that is how God has revealed his love. In the person of Jesus, who is both human and divine. He is both man and God. So to deny that very core of the message of Jesus and what he came to do, he had to be human to deal with our sin, to die in our place. To deny that is a denial of the gospel. And this is why John is so serious about it. This is a real caution to the church, a real warning not to accept these people. And we think about bringing that to today, well then the onus is on us for us to be testing teachers actually to be thinking about the kind of stuff that we hear, the kind of stuff that we read, we listen to, we watch, particularly if it's someone claiming to be speaking the truth of the gospel. We want to take care. And I think particularly when it comes to, to reading, actually, I think that's, that's one way we can often be led down uh, into falsehood and away from truth. Just because a book is popular and it's on the top ten shelf in, in Waterstones or wherever, and it's got Christian written on it, doesn't actually mean that it is speaking the truth. We have to be careful. We have to be cautious. I was speaking to to someone recently who was a fairly recent Christian uh, and and has still got lots of questions. And he says, oh, it's great, actually, because if I have a question, um, all I need to do is Google it. Don't Google it. Because you can get any answer. I mean, even the way things like Google were, they, they tailor your answers to the kind of stuff you look at. It's no reliability that you are getting the truth. Come and ask someone who you know is actually teaching the truth of the gospel. It's a much better way to do it. Ask your small group leader. Ask, ask someone here at church who you respect and you know who's been uh, a mature Christian. Don't just Google it, please. So we see that 
this, this is, a, this is a, a case of love, God's love being under attack. The gospel is under attack. And what's our response to that? Well, we need to take caution, but also it means that we need to actually think about how we defend ourselves against this kind of thing. You see, love requires that we mount a defense. We look at verse 8 and then verse 10 and 11. Watch out that you do not lose what you have worked for, but that you may be rewarded fully. Then verse 10, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not take them into your house or welcome them. Anyone who welcomes them shares in their wicked work. So the consequences are so serious that that this church, they need to do something. Um, And just very briefly, it it talks about taking people into your house. It's talking about hospitality, welcoming people if they're traveling. Now, in the ancient world, if they didn't have, you know, travel lodge or premier inn or something, you would go and stay in someone's home. But the only way you could do that is if you came along with maybe letters of recommendation and say, yes, this person is legitimate. Yeah, they're not going to burgle you or something. And when you get welcomed into someone's home, you'd be welcomed into the community. But John is saying, if you get these people coming along, don't do that. Because actually in doing that, you are giving them, in one sense, a foothold for their message. And their message is dangerous. Their message shouldn't be allowed to be broadcasted. So don't give them hospitality. Because actually if you do that, it means you are supporting them and sharing in their work. It is that serious. John says just don't do it. And particularly for a a culture which hospitality was a big thing as well. Don't do that. Don't allow them to get a foothold for their teaching. And we think about that for us. Well, that means actually we need to take care with letting some people have too much influence. Now, we have to think a bit more creatively, I think, about how that might look. But perhaps um, you're involved with a CU, Christian Union. You might be careful about the people you invite along to. Um, yes, we want to get people with different experiences and, and different denominations, yes. But we need to think carefully about some of the people we involve. So, for example... Um, I wouldn't recommend that you would invite a Mormon or a Jehovah's Witness to come and speak. Because actually they believe something fundamentally different about who Jesus is that goes straight to the heart of the gospel. And we shouldn't be giving them a stage to mislead others. Now, of course, we still want to love them. Of course, we still want to show love and kindness to them. But we want to be careful for the sake of loving others, particularly new Christians or people who aren't yet Christians, we want to be careful, show caution, and we want to mount a defense. And last of all, to finish on a, on a positive, well, John says that in the end, love will win. So hold on to this, love will win. Verse 9, he says, Anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. But whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. You see, continuing on means that we have Christ, not just now, but forever into eternity. And it's because of his victory, his victory at the cross, defeating death and sin and the devil, that ensures our place in his family. Love will win. It won at the cross, and it will win in the future when the whole world sees what Christ has done. And we live this out by continuing in what we have heard, 
We don't, we don't drift from the truth that we've heard, but we, we keep on, we push on, and we love it. And that's my prayer for, for me and for all of us, that we would continue in that truth and that we would love it more and more every day. So I'm going to lead us in a short prayer, and then we'll turn to our, our time of communion as, uh, as we can think about what the Lord Jesus has done and that love that he has shown us that is true. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you for the truth of what you have done in sending the Lord Jesus to rescue us. Lord, we love that truth and we, we long to love it more. We long to love you more with all our heart, mind, soul and flesh. And we long to love others as we love ourselves. Lord, that is, that is hard and we, we see all, all around us that, that this, this message is under attack. Even the idea of what truth is, is under attack. Lord, help us to cherish it. But Lord, as, as we leave tonight and go back uh, out into the world, that we pray that we might have opportunities and you might strengthen us through your spirit to be acting out that love, to be showing that love to the people that you put around us. Lord, help us to do that for your name's sake and for your glory. Amen.